You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. What a morning. Man, I'm thankful to be here and thankful to be celebrating that Jesus is alive. Let's pray together and then we're going to jump in. Father, we are thankful for everything that we've had a chance to express through song this morning. We crown you with many crowns, the one who is worthy of it all. Because you live, we can face tomorrow. You are worthy of our worship. I ask now that you be with all the churches in our city as they gather this morning, that the resurrection of Christ will be proclaimed from every church building in this community. Lord, and we ask that you be with me as I speak today. Please keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city. Let the words I say be from your truth. Because you have given us your word. You have spoken. You have given us our, the scriptures, our Bibles. What a gift of grace that is. That's all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm so excited to read this passage of scripture to you because I think it is one of like the ultimate just strange and just, I don't know to laugh or to cry or to roll my eyes or somewhere in between. I don't, I don't even know what emoji to use in reading this. From Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, he was up there meeting with God, where God was speaking to him, God was giving him the law. They gathered around Aaron, who was Moses' right hand, and said to him, come make gods, like lowercase g, gods for us, who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So they just acknowledge that Moses led them to, through something extremely significant. That the one true God did an amazing work. He led the people out of Egypt. And here are these people saying, it's taken Moses a long time to get down from the mountain. Can you make us some fake gods that we can worship? Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Just a second before, they said, Moses is taking forever to get down here. The guy who brought us out of Egypt, since he's not here, can you make us a fake god? Then Aaron said, sure, give me your jewelry. They make a fake god, a golden calf, and then says, Israel, here's your god. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, I don't know exactly what it means to can't even, but I think this is the original usage of the term. This is actually happening right here. I mean, think about this. Look at this thing. And they said, will you make us one of these? He's like, yeah, give me your gold. I can't believe even the teenage girls gave up their gold earrings. They're like, sure, here. Like, everybody was cool with it. They make this. They make this. This is a golden calf. It's not a real cow. So you from, people from Quincy, chill out. It's going to be okay. 
And they said, now we're going to worship this. And then even that, he goes, behold, here is your God who took you out of Egypt. Have you ever heard of a more ridiculous thing in your life? Here's what God says about our idols. He says, their idols are, are silver and gold made by human hands. And we just saw that Aaron actually made this himself. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. They have noses, but can't smell. They have hands, or I guess hooves here, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. I'm really glad I don't want to know what that sound would be. It kind of creeps me out. They can't even do that. And then he says this, those who make them are just like them. As are all who trust in them. Just like them. What does that mean? They're, they're dead. They're, they're useless. They're, they're a golden calf made by human hands. They're going, we don't want to worship our creator as the creation. Instead, we want to worship something that we've made. Not the creator, but the created. And it just sounds so ridiculous. They said, we're not, God's not moving quick enough. We're not happy right now, so we're going to make an idol for ourselves, and we're going to worship that instead, because we want something to worship. Every person needs something, craves something to worship. We need this tangible thing right in front of us. That thing is creeping me out looking at me. But you, you have eyes, and you do not see, so you just stay right there. So what is idolatry? What is idolatry? Is it making a golden calf? Well, it's more than that. The New City Catechism says that idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. That that's what idolatry actually is, and God's not okay with that. God's not on standby saying, oh, they'll just figure it out later. Oh, they'll realize all this stuff doesn't work. And eventually they'll come around. Here's the scripture say, I am the Lord, that is my name. Like a defined, real, actual God. And because of that, because he's God, he says, I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my praise to idols. You, you cannot find, I will not allow you to find your significance, happiness, purpose in something else other than me because none of those things were ever created to actually do that. You know what that tells me? It wasn't about the golden calf. You see later in the scripture, God gets very, very angry with them. Why? Because he won't share his glory with anything else. But it wasn't about the calf. It was the heart behind the golden calf. Like they knew why Moses was up on the mountain for so long. He was talking to God. A rare privilege we see in the scriptures. They know the same God, the one true God, who told them he was the one true God over and over again, that he put the 10 plagues on Egypt, that he conducted the Passover, where they were instructed his people to put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, and rather than him, God, striking their firstborn, he would pass over them and spare them his wrath. They knew this story. They still observed it in the wilderness and remembered it. They know about the Red Sea. They were there where God parted it and destroyed Pharaoh's army. 
It's not a coincidence when God first gives the great commandments to Moses up on the mountain. He begins by telling him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, as in here's who I am and here's what I've done for you. So what is the response to that? It's the Ten Commandments. It's now here's what it looks like for you to be my people. And in verse 2, he begins by saying, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Don't bow in worship to them and do not serve them. Why? Because it's dumb and pointless and not going to work? Well, that's probably a pretty good answer, but more than that. Remember, it's not about the calf. It's deeper than that. For I'm the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. But we in Tallahassee, we feel a little too sophisticated for a golden calf. Like, that doesn't apply to us. Like, I've never met anyone in my entire life in the first world or anywhere else I've been that would actually make a calf for themselves and worship it. Like, it feels just too sophisticated for us. But look at the book of Romans. It goes deeper. It says, indicting all of the human race, that they exchanged the truth of God, God's word, who God is, for a lie. And they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised. Like, he's the one who is to be worshiped, who is praised forever. Amen. But again, we go, okay, but that's not really what we do. Like, like again, we're, we're above that. We're more sophisticated than that. And we, we develop vaccines in less than a year, right? I mean, I mean we're, we're just more ahead of those kind of things. Well, here's what the New Testament writes to the church in the book of 1 John. John writes this, and this is where we're going to camp for a little bit. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, as in they can't coexist. I can't love the creation more than God. Like, one has to win. And the conclusion is that if I'm loving the world, then I don't actually understand what it means to be loved by God. Therefore, the love of God is not in me. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father. These things are not from God. Instead, it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, like it's going to be gone. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. We, that's why we're here today at Easter. We believe that since Jesus rose from the grave, that he is eternal. That, that life matters more than just what's going to happen today. It matters for all eternity. But he says this. He doesn't go to golden calves with us. Here in the New Testament, those more sophisticated people who have evolved a little bit more at that time as a society, not as much as we have today. So it's easy to roll our eyes or to kind of think that we're above that. But he mentions these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride to one's possession. What do those mean? And what do they have to do with that? The lust of the flesh. I want to feel that. Like, I, I want to feel that way, the lust of the flesh. So I want to I feel significant. I, I want to feel like I matter. I want to feel happy. I want to feel younger. I want to feel more free. 
I want to just feel more, more excited about this. Life's just so mundane and just so basic. I, I want to, so, so what am I going to do? I'm going to build up whatever I can. Since God is not the one that's fulfilling those things for me, and I got to go around him, not to him, for the things I'm looking for, I'm going to manufacture something instead. Lust of the flesh. I want to feel that. Maybe the biggest one today could be, I want to feel safe. So we alter and orchestrate our lives to the point of, if we wonder if we trust God at all. I, I want to feel that. I want to feel happy, so I'm going to make decisions based on what can give me that happiness in the moment. And what I don't realize I'm doing is, I'm building something with ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see, and I'm no different than the people who, rather than believing in God and trusting him and building a calf instead and saying, even though God is who he is and he's done all these things for me, I'm gonna worship you instead, and it's foolishness. Not only that, it's sad because it doesn't deliver. It doesn't love you back. It says, don't love the world, well, what does that mean? Well, the lust of the flesh, I, I, I want to feel that. I'm going to do whatever I can to feel that in the moment. Lust of the eyes, he says next. I want to have that. Lust of the flesh, I want to feel. Lust of the eyes, I want to have that. I, I want to have this in my life. I want to have security. Or I want to have what they have. Or I want to have status. I want to have image. I, I want those things. If I have to manufacture a second life online to achieve those things, I'm going to do it. If I have to take out commitments in my life that matter to God and are from the scriptures, I'm going to do that as long as I can have what I want. So I'll build a life. Or even just accessories of life to make sure that I have what I'm looking for in the moment. And if I have to worship it to get it, I will. The next, pride in one's possessions. I want to show that. I want to show it to the world. I, I want to show my looks. I want to show my body. I want to show that we've made it. I want to show that we have the perfect family, that I'm the perfect mom, that... I'm the provider, that I'm the hard worker, that I, I want to show that Instagram life. So I'm going to do whatever it takes and hold on to whatever it takes and bank on whatever it takes to give me the ultimate security I'm looking for so I can feel, have, and show. We're not as sophisticated as we thought, are we? We're building our own golden calves day by day as a city, neighborhoods, individual homes, as a nation, as a world. And the question I have is, is it working? Is it really working? The love of the world means the Father is not in us. In verse 16, he says, all this is not from the Father. Like he's saying, be clear on that. Like it is actually from the world. But what does the world say? What's the world's messaging? You go be you. You go get it. You do more of what makes you happy. I don't know if anyone says this anymore, but like two years ago, it was YOLO, you only live once. How quick did that saying come and go? Even our favorite hashtags have a short expiration life. Be the best you. 
So that means leave your husband. If that means work more or work less or find a better filter or get more followers or look younger or have more successful kids and pour your entire life into that, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, just live, laugh, love. And write a book on that and it'll be a bestseller. Girl, just wash your face. Eat, pray, love. And it'll be a bestseller. Because it's all about you. Little did we know that the golden calf are actually building. Remember he said those who worship them are just like them, that it actually looks like us. And I know that's probably offensive for us to think about, but the gods we're manufacturing are more gods that resemble us than anything of the scriptures. Look at back to Exodus. When Aaron saw this, after they made the calf, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. This is the same guy that said, bring your gold, bring your stuff, or here we go, here's your God that brought you out of Egypt. He said, there's gonna be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Tomorrow, Easter at the Civic Center. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings, which are things they were supposed to do in their worship. People sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. St. Patrick's Day level, 7 a.m. in line, to party. What are they doing? They're making their worship of this feel and sound more Christian. Now, Jesus hadn't come yet, so they weren't Christians yet at the time in the Old Testament, but they're making it feel more like God was okay with it. So what do we do? We have this lifestyle of I want to feel, I want to have, I want to show, but we sprinkle some God language on it to make it all sound like it's okay. And what's the result of that? I think God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to do what I think is best for me. We have no scripture to back that up. But isn't it interesting what God wants best for me usually leaves other casualties along the way. And then leaves something else a month later when that's not enough, that's not enough, that's not enough. And you can have your fourth partner, you can be wellness to the T, you can on and on and on and it never actually satisfies if those things are functioning as their purpose is to truly do that. Here's what Paul wrote, talking about the resurrection. He's like, if the dead are not raised, as in if Easter's like a sham, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, as in who cares and you just do you. Calf it away. Cows all day long. But there's no resurrection of the dead. Christianity's a sham. A sham. And this gathering's a waste of time and a waste of money and a waste of, a waste of my very nice pink blazer. But if there is an Easter, then everything else is a sham. Then they have ears and don't hear. They have noses but can't smell. But our God, he bodily rose from the grave. He is alive right now. See, according to this way of thinking of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's possessions, the goal of life is to discover and express your kind of unique sense of self. We don't even know what that means, but we hear it all the time. 
They can't even define it, but you just find you. You find your unique sense of self, no matter what others may say or do to challenge your freedom or your personality and kind of the narrative arc of your life. My friend Trevin Wax says this, it's finding your personal route to happiness by following your heart, expressing your true self, and then fighting whoever would oppose you in that quest. Your society, your family, your past, your church, whatever it might be, your husband, your wife, anything that stands in the way towards you finding your true self, whatever in the heck that even means. Remember the definition of idolatry. Trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. When the first sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit that God told them not to from the certain tree, what was happening there? Easy. Eve, Adam and Eve were believing that they needed to trust in these things rather than the Creator. They needed the fruit in their life because they were missing out. They believed two lies. And if you're a regular city churcher, you hear this almost every Sunday. That there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying Him. And the other lie, got to go around God for all the things I'm looking for rather than actually to him. See, in sin, people turn from God to serve what they want. They're driven by affections, by, by lusts, by worship that, that's not of God and for God. So what's the solution? Do we just feel bad about ourselves and then try harder? Is that just make a New Year's resolution? I mean, is that what we do? Get a new app that will help us? I mean, is that what we do? Well, that still makes it all about us. Again, God's not okay with any of this. God, first and foremost, doesn't want us to go to idols simply because they don't fulfill. That's a byproduct, and in his grace, he loves us enough to let us know that. He doesn't want us to go to idols because he's not going to share his glory and worship with anyone else. Like we may see it as not a big deal. He sees it as a sense of cosmic treason, of us rebelling against the God of the universe. And I think one of our biggest problems right now, uh, just kind of in American Christianity, is we don't think sin's a very big deal. And we're not going to think it's a big deal until we actually realize who it is we're sinning against. And that's the God of the universe. See, the solution isn't to try harder. The solution is God's grace that he has already provided See, by grace, people turn to God away from their own lusts. See, those outside of Christ are thoroughly controlled by what they want. So they're going to say, of course I live for money or reputation or success or looks or love or my kids. Like, that, that's what life is all about. What else is there to live for? Like family and fun and the future. And for Christians the, who are far from perfect like myself and dabble in these things all the time, sadly, the inner conflict is, for us, is what God wants compared to what we want, compared to what I want. And what's actually going to change that? I believe it's the reordering of our affections. That our affections have to change. We have to change what it is that we love and set our hearts on new things. A man named Gerald McDermott explained Jonathan Edwards' writings. He's a theologian on a religious affections. And he saw affections as strong inclinations of the soul. 
that are made known in thinking and feeling and acting. And it's common to confuse affections with emotions, but they're two different things. Emotions can often be no more than sort of a physiologically heightened state of either sort of a euphoria or a fear that are unrelated to what the mind actually perceives to be true. Affections, on the other hand, are always the fruit or effect of what the mind understands and knows. Like the will or, or kind of inclination is moved either towards or away from something that receives our affections. Here's a quick difference. Affections and emotions, here's a big difference. Affections are long-lasting. They're deep. They're consistent with your beliefs. They always result in action. They involve your mind, will, and feelings. Emotions, on the other hand, are fleeting. They're superficial. They're sometimes overpowering. They're often unable to produce any kind of action in our lives. They're often disconnected from the real life of our mind and our will. See, affections are driven by convictions. And here's the conviction I have today. And that is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That the resurrection ultimately proves that. That if if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But since the one who was dead, Jesus Christ, has been raised, and as a result, those who are his will be one day as well, then let us eat and drink the glory of Jesus Christ. Because yesterday we were dead in our sins from the Easter story. But tomorrow and today we will live forever. John wrote this, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's John doing? He's challenging us to examine our love allegiances and our love priorities. And this can only be done by a supernatural work of God in our lives. See, God's love was revealed among us, John says, in this way. God's love wasn't just talked about. It wasn't just felt. It was shown. It was revealed that God sent his one and only son into the world so we might live through him, not for those anymore. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, because I'm not very good at that. I'm guessing you're not probably either, but he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Like, what is the gift that God gives us? He gives us himself. He gives us himself. See, idolatry is sin. And what does sin do? It fills our minds with a clutter of falsehoods. And those falsehoods prevent us from actually seeing the truth. It's what could allow someone to see God part the Red Sea, and then a little while later go, can we build something in worship? Because God's not acting quick enough. They weren't atheists. They weren't agnostics. They weren't of another religion. They were people who tried to mingle their faith in the one true God with what they wanted right then in the moment. And it's supposed to be as stupid as it looks. But how often do we forget that we're doing the same thing, but thankfully God doesn't leave us here. He doesn't leave us here. He sent his only son to free us One, from the penalty of our idolatry and sin, which is death. And then second, the amazing grace of God from worshiping things and loving things that are never going to love us back and don't deserve our worship because they have hooves and hands and they can't feel and they have feet and they can't walk. See, belief is essential to worship. It's critical. 
You can't worship what you don't know. See, knowing God as he has revealed himself, the one true God, determines your ability to truly worship and enjoy him forever. Chapter 5, we're just going through 1 John here, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So we may know the true one. We are in the true one that is in his Son, Jesus Christ. And you've got to come to grips with that. If you're kind of new to church or not sure, mainly you've you know, attended church in the past, doesn't kind of really talk about the need for Christ and the Bible, and I don't know how that works, but that's a thing. Uh, you, might, you might go, okay, well, yeah, but you've got to come to grips with that. Because the Bible is very self-aware. Again, it said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then all this is a sham. The Bible is very self-aware. But what if it's true? And not what if it's true, because we know it's true. If Jesus rose from the grave, it ends the discussion on who he is. He gets to say who he is. He's the true God and eternal life. So how does he conclude the letter of 1 John? We had it read to us at the beginning of the service from chapter 1. I worked this on that these are the last words based on every amazing thing he just told us about God's love, how God shows us his love. He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. He doesn't punish us as idolaters. Instead, he's, he sent his only son to die a death that we deserve for our sins and then rose him from the grave to secure once and for all the plan that he had executed to free a people for himself. And what does John say? Little children. Like, here's his conclusion. Guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from these in your life idolatry takes us down dark paths and what do we need is God's light to expose them in our lives and in our hearts and that light his name is Jesus Christ John Don wrote this he said just a challenge to us I'm so thankful for it don't be seduced by false views of God and of Christ don't let your heart be captured by the idol of self and the trinkets and trivialities of the world. Reject the phony intimacies of sexual immorality. Reject the false promises of empty riches. Reject the vain boasts of self-promotion and the lustful craving for fame. Reject the superficial relating and fair-weather friending and easy enemy-making that too often passes for friendship in the world. Reject the half-baked, flat-tire, anemic versions of Christianity offered up by a theological liberalism that has man rather than the Lord Jesus Christ as its center. As a result, he says, choose Christ. Love the one who has first loved you. Remain in his love, as John wrote. Let's not live instead for what Jesus died for, which is sin. And false worship. Why am I living my life for what Jesus died for? What's the appeal? And I ask myself the same question. What's the appeal? Like they, we made this ourselves at church. A guy named Ryan McCraw made this. I don't know how the heck he made it, but he made this. Like himself. He like went to the dollar store or something, and like put all this together. It has like a styrofoam cup, I think, is the nose. It's, it's fake. It's fake. You know what's not fake? All the words someone said about themselves who was dead and came back to life three days later. 
What would it look like if instead of living for what Christ died for, we said, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my life. He died so that those who live no longer live for themselves, but him who died and rose again. So for those who are watching online, I'm thankful that you are. I wish you could have been here, but they capped us pretty hard on how many could be here. We were watching. For those who are here in this building, what would it look like for you to say no to that and yes to Christ? Yes to Christ. Some of you have never actually done that before. Maybe you've admired Jesus or liked him or thought his teachings were nice to an extent as long as they didn't push too hard or, or whatever it might be. Or this is like you're a millionth year in a row going to church on Easter somewhere and you're going to, you know, maybe go next Sunday if you feel like it or a month from now. You'll definitely go Mother's Day because it means a lot to Nana or you know, all, all this. Like, like you're cool with it all. But you've never actually submitted to it. You never just said, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm going to stand before God based on that reality. And God makes it clear that he won't let sin go unpunished. He's not just going to let you worship this and not do anything about it. He won't share his glory with anyone else or his praise with another. So rather than running to God and confessing our sins and saying, Lord, please save me. Like, like I, I want to trust in Jesus to be the one that, that I stand before God based on his goodness and his righteousness. Instead, we go, man, I want to feel that. I want to have that. I want to show that. And here's the question. Jesus has already shown it all by the fact there's an empty tomb right now that we can be a part of. Right now. I like to say that there's an old Toby Keith song back in the day that said, how do you like me now? That's Easter. That's Jesus going, that thing, really? That? But again, we think we're sophisticated, and I know I do too sophisticated for this, but we're making these golden calves all the time. All the time. But here's the good news. There's more grace and love in Jesus then there is foolishness and sin in us. Be not mistaken, our sin is massive. Our idolatry is real. But the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ can tip this daggum thing right over. Hear that, Quincy? We're going cow tipping. <laughs> what would it look like today for you to tip cows over, figuratively in your life, and instead say, I'm going to choose the one who first loved me who first loved me after the service is over we're going to have some folks available to have a conversation with you pray with you it's worth being five minutes late to ham at grandma's it is to have a conversation with a trusted person who's been trained to answer your questions and just to lead you in a prayer help you think through what it means to trust in christ and I, i'm going to when i come at the very end i'm going to point to you where they're going to be because I'm the pastor of the church and I forgot where they're going to be. So I'm going to come back up when somebody tells me. But here's what I know and here's what I will never forget as long as God's grace lives in my life, which I believe is forever. And that is that none of us in believing in Jesus are wasting our time. We are not to be pitied as 1 Corinthians 15 says. Why? Because the tomb is empty. It is empty. So instead, are we going to go, I want that, I got to feel that, I want to show that, I want to have that, and just more of me, more of me, self, 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 show this, feel this, do this, or instead, are we going to say, no, life really is about Jesus Christ, crucified and risen? That's what we need in Tallahassee. There's so many talks out there right now about unity this and togetherness that. That's all great, and that's all nice. But without Jesus, 
That's no different than this. We're just putting our trust in man-made meetings and feelings and marketing campaigns and all these things rather than actually in the one who took on flesh, gave a real death, a substitutionary death in our place, shed his blood for us, was buried, and then three days later rose again. What if instead of living for cows, we live for Christ? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you don't punish us as our sins deserve. Easter weekend is the glaring reminder of that, that Jesus died a death in our place, and he rose again, according to the scriptures. They appeared over 500 people at one time. What a validation of who you are and of your great redemptive plan to bring a people to yourself. So for those in this room right now who do know you, Lord, I ask that you allow them to tip cows over daily in their life. Daily. Your word tells us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, if we're living for you, walking with you, and I believe that that can't go any further than the golden calves that we build. Let us see those. Forgive us when we want to find significance in all the things we're looking for, not just apart from you, but in a way that goes against your word and your plan for our lives. How laughable when we try to sprinkle Christian language on disobedience of you. We are a self-obsessed people. So we need to reorder our affections. They must go from ourselves to you, from our lusts to you. We can't do that alone. We need you to take over, and we know that you do. So in repentance, those who are Christians in this room today, we, we surrender that to you. We figuratively ask you by your grace to tip the cows over in our lives, even if it makes us uncomfortable, and we don't even like what that means or what's coming. Those in this room who don't know you or are on the fence or not sure, let them know that they just don't have cows in their life. They're living for them. They're under their authority. That's why they wake up in the morning, whether they realize it or not. Lord, open their eyes to see and to know and to believe that you are the living God, the one true God, and you love them. So much you gave your only son to die a death that they deserved as punishment for their own sins, that Jesus took on the sins of the world. Lord, and I ask that you allow them by your grace to believe that rather than the gospel being foolishness in their eyes, they'll see the love of the world is foolishness. And they'll want the love of the Father to be in them. What a great God you are. We thank you the tomb is empty. That's in the great name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.